It's time for another episode of Doogie All-Stars with your host, Tecmo Super Bowl, Nixon the Grouch, and 2-4 Offsuit. Welcome, everybody, to episode 22 of Badoogie All-Stars. This is Tecmo Super Bowl. This is Nixon the Grouch. This is 2-4 Offsuit. So, uh, what's been going on uh, with you, Bryce? Um, not much. I won another triple draw tournament, but that's, I mean, that's like you eating cake. It just happens all the time now. <laughs> Was this another $3 tournament? No, another $3, yeah. I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to spend that money. Nice. But No, actually, where I'm going to spend that money is losing it at No Limit Hold'em, because I'm playing that again, and I don't remember how. So. <laughs> Do they have higher stakes triple draw tournaments that people play or not? The $3 is the high stakes triple draw tournament. The $2 is the is the low stakes one. Okay, so if your roll gets short, you're going to move down to the $2. <laughs> that is correct. Where they don't respect his raises. Yeah, where they think that sevens play low instead of aces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of it. Um, no Limit Hold'em is harder than Triple Draw. That's what I've learned. What's going on with you, Jordan? Well, uh, big news. I got a... Girl adorable... pregnant? Oh, no. <laughs> Adorable <laughs> little baby puppy type dog. And I hope one doesn't one didn't lead to the other. That'd be weird. <laughs> that would be very awkward. And he's he's pretty much awesome. My girlfriend is dog crazy. She loves all kinds of dogs and as a reward for help she helped me out move all of my stuff in and put her through a ton of stuff. So I was like, as a reward we can go look at dogs. And I went to the shelter, and I said, we're definitely not getting a dog. And then that day, I came home with a dog. But it's okay, because he's very cute. Just don't go again. <laughs> no. <laughs> we went to look at cats, and then we went to buy supplies for the cat that we ended up getting. Now we have two cats. <laughs> oh, nice. Because they had cats at the store that sold the supply for cats. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good marketing move. Um, Be careful. Wait, wait. My you you helped her, her. She helped you move um, with a bad knee. Her knee is a lot better now, and she actually, our, our softball season has re-upped, and she didn't want to play, but I wonder after why. the first game, after the first <laughs> game, she said, I want back in, and now she's back in. And you said, no, the league already started. Learn how to <laughs> no. commit ahead of time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. so, well, that that ended up happening, but when we went to the, the shelter there, they have, you know, about, they have the, where they bring in the strays that aren't up for adoption, they're just holding them there waiting for their owners to come pick them up, and then if they don't pick them up after a certain time period and then they pass their health checks, they may get put up for adoption. There were about 12 cages there, and 10 had dogs in it, and out of the 10 dogs that were there, she wanted 8 of them, <laughs> including this one that was just the rattiest... Her, her words to me were, the rattier the better. So she likes the. That explains shoes. so much about your relationship. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I'm just it's, digging myself a hole here. But it's, it's so cute and broken. <laughs> it's so true, though. <laughs> he's so, so he's so you know drunk that that, uh, that can little, barely like, stand up. <laughs> you know the little rabbit from Married with Children? It's like a rabbit puppet that he talks to in the basement. Whoa, you mean whoa, the whoa. other? You mean, you mean no, not Married wrong with show. Children? Wrong show. Yeah. 
What is thinking of the show that ripped off Married with yeah, Children. Yeah, exactly. It was the oh, rip-off okay, of Married with Children. Don't don't the, disgrace the Married Bobcat, with Children. It was the Bobcat Goldthwaite thing, right? Yeah, it That's had it had um, yeah. the redhead who was pretty hot, though, in it. Nikki Cox, who... I'm just going to get all geeky for a second, but she was actually, like... Do you, do you remember in Terminator... In my favorite episode of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> no, in Terminator 2, which I've seen, like, 104 times, um, there's a scene where... Uh, t- the, I can't remember. The, you guys remember the, who, who plays T one thousand? He was in X Files later on. Yeah, I know the dude. Yeah. Well, anyway, he's he's you in want the cop- to tell you, or you just well, yeah, I, I couldn't remember the actor's name, but uh, you can just be, be a douche and not tell me. But um, the okay. he pulls <laughs> he pulls up uh, and asks these two girls in his cop car if he's seen this boy, uh, and she was which boy? The, the um, John Connor. John. I just um, want to know what, if you knew any names from this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> but she actually is that girl. And uh, then later on, she uh, turned out pretty hot and is in that weird rabbit show that you're talking about, which I can't remember well, the name that's of. So I'm talking about. The and rabbit that's the point there. he was going to make. <laughs> the rabbit in there, there was a dog that was supposed to be white, but was so dirty and mangled that he ended up that gray color and kind of looked like that. She's like, that's the one that I want. And I look at him, and he's just shaking, terrified, because one, because he's. Are in, you like, sure it wasn't Bobcat Goldthwait? <laughs> <laughs> Not. I mean, he seems much smaller than Bobcat would have been. Just checking. But that was the one that she wanted, and I was like, "There's no way." But we ended up getting this dog, and he's just amazing. He's so calm, and he doesn't bark at people, and he's a small dog, and he doesn't yip, and he doesn't shed. Because he's afraid to do it. No, I don't think so. I think he's just so so happy. He he definitely was afraid being in a shelter. So, but um, that's what's with me. I got a new dog. I also made a coffee table, which I think is really sweet. As kind of a project that I just wanted to kind of take a stab at doing. I have no woodworking experience of any relevant sort, and I was like, well, we need a new coffee table. Let's make a coffee table, and it's. By the time that this podcast airs, it will be done. It is like 90% done right now, and I will post pics of it on my blog. You mean you will have posted pics on your blog? By the That's, time. Correct. That's correct. That's <laughs> correct. Let's, let's definitely make sure we don't make it seem like we record these ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. It, these are all recorded live. Yes, right. <laughs> it is Monday at whatever time I bother posting this right now. Or well, Tuesday, can... if that's when you're downloading it. Right. <laughs> if you're listening to this on the archives, we also just stick around waiting until you <laughs> just click the button to listen. And do it yeah. live there. For those of you that made this your choice of what to listen to if the world ended on December 21st, 2012, we thank you. <laughs> um, speaking of woodworking, um, my girlfriend actually built our entertainment stand and uh, we have this, like, like this rolling table in our... Um, like living room area that sort of acts as a TV tray. It's, she she built it. it. It's got like this nice design on it. It's got wheels so you can move it from like one of the couch to to another side of a couch. It's really yeah, freaking sweet. If I were to guess which of the two of you use tools, that would have been my guess as well. <laughs> no, that's actually really sweet. Um, woodworking is kind of cool. It's it's not something that I like. I completely missed out on the middle school experience of like going to wood shop. Yeah, we my car went that. the furthest. By the way, <laughs> I just wanted. Yeah, I, my, 
I did make the regionals in the Pinewood Derby and the Cub Scouts. Did your dad build the car? Because I hear that's what they do now. Or are you too old for that? I didn't know I'm too old to have a dad. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for rubbing it in. <laughs> wow. Um, no, my, my car definitely did not go very far because I'm terrible, but this table turned out really, really well, and I have posted pictures of it by the time that you listen to this. Have Have you put anything on it? Put, put, put yeah. Have you put anything on it? Yeah, I stained it. Um, I actually got redwood, which is, you know, it's, it's No, I meant, red. like, physical objects, like a book. Oh, I've sat on it. it oh, okay. It definitely... All right, I didn't it's know if it was... table, not a chair? <laughs> this, this How unrefined is... are you? <laughs> This thing is very, very sturdy. It weighs a lot, but it's it's solid, and that's kind of what I was going for. There's a coffee table slash solid. bench. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. If you look at it, that's what it looks like, a coffee table slash bench. You're like a freaking renaissance man. Didn't you also paint something? I did paint something. I I hope to paint more stuff, but I end up doing... I have spending hopes, my, too. But... <laughs> I end up spending my weekend nights recording this with you guys, or weekends, depending on when you listen. <laughs> That's right. I've been trying to pick up new hobbies, too, but as listeners come in and, and, at random times, and we have to keep starting... Don't pause it. Hold... Okay, go ahead. It's really <laughs> uncomfortable to do this live recording thing. I agree. I know. Oh, new it's listener. Really All right, to welcome to episode thing. 22. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really uncomfortable to do this live recording thing. Who keeps doing that? All right, moving on. I, I think somebody's hitting the 30-second back button <laughs> or the 10-second back button that we happen to have installed at badoogieallstars.com. At badoogieallstars.com. <laughs> I'm not participating in this. So, Tecmo, what's been going on with you? Um, well, speaking of dogs... Um, I, uh, What's getting, up, dog? <laughs> yes. No, I'm getting ready to send off my current foster dog to his new forever home uh, tomorrow. Um, so that'll be exciting and sad at the same time. Um, but I have a question about pit bulls, by the way. I heard someone refer to someone as being like a pit bull today. When you hear that phrase, do you pickle that, picture them lying on the floor, like wiggling their butt? Yes. Okay. Just curious. Um, licking How faces. How that? Uh, I picture it as biting and not letting go because that's what pit bulls do. <laughs> is that is that a is that true? Is that an urban legend? Oh, it's totally true. Ask Tom. Yeah, totally it's not, untrue. It's not true. Um, it's not true. But pit anyway, don't have lockjaw. Yeah, they do not have lockjaw. That's that's my one statement every episode that I try to make is that they do not have lockjaw. Um, what if what if they have tetanus? All right, then they have tetanus, which gives them tetanus. Lockjaw. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that really how it works? I don't even know what. Lo- yeah, don't get tetanus. Get your tetanus shots. Yeah, don't get tetanus. That's the message. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, and then we've already sort of lined up. Uh, the, I, I work with this group called Jasmine's House. Uh, it's a pit bull rescue. Uh, Jasmine was actually one of the Michael Vick dogs, and uh, she had a house. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Michael Vick was rich. Um, but anyway, uh, they have a dog. They just emailed me today, like, well, I was going to say five hours ago, but depending on when you click <laughs> listen, I guess it, but different. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> the dog knows how to email? <laughs> yes. That's really um, crazy. No, it's a dog. It's a four-month-old puppy 
pit bull with a broken leg um, who just had surgery today. So we'll probably or be... yesterday or <laughs> yes. Um, so we'll be going to pick him up uh, either tomorrow or or the next day. I'm not sure. Uh, so that's exciting news. Um, and poker wise, I had my monthly one-two cash game recently, and continuing to crush there. Thankfully, and basically, uh, I picked a really good seat which is hard to do without making it obvious in a home game. Uh, there's a guy named John who uh, is probably the biggest fish, not in terms of skill, but in terms of... Gills. Yes. <laughs> and tank. <laughs> no, he he's going to spew the most money because, you know, a lot of your fishier live players are just kind of passive, but he's very aggressive, so he's going to... Uh, whenever you show weakness, he's going to try to bluff. Um, so it's good to have position on him. And then the only other good player at the table, um, or the only other real like decent player, <laughs> uh, comparatively uh, to the other ones, uh, was to his left. So I made sure to sit uh, two to the left of John and one to the left of the other guy, and just had a good seat for most of the night. And uh, didn't hurt that I also ran really well um, and played fairly well. So had my most successful cash game night ever, I think. Um, so that was nice. Um, Were you playing on your iPad the whole time? Uh, I don't think I was. I think I was trying to just make conversation and be social for the Maybe most part. Maybe pick up on some tells? No. Oh, no, definitely not that. But I, I now that... Um, <laughs> Once I finally get that book from you guys, I'm going to read it and I'm going to put, start doing that. I actually have been trying to look left more, which is really hard. Um, it is really hard, but good to get in the habit of doing. Yeah, so I I probably do it like half the time, which is I it's impressive for me. Um, but we yeah. all got to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so that's that was going really well. Oh, I remember I was watching. The basketball game most of the time. Um, oh, okay. totally <laughs> paying attention. Was, was the television to your left? Is that what you're talking about? No, it was directly in front of me. <laughs> Couldn't even look to the left to watch the TV. <laughs> wow. um, but there was one hand uh, that uh, I was unsure about at the time, and and I the way it, it's weird because the way I played it, I thought I didn't play it well, so. Um, I don't know if we want to go into that now. Yeah, sure. Well, Tecmo actually posted his hand on Deuces Cracked and sent it to us via that link. So I'm going to read the hand as if he had emailed it to me like he did last week. So he says, I played this hand over the weekend at my monthly home game. I'm one of the best in this home game. I did so. say that. I realized that my C-bet was far too big, but now that we're out of this spot, I'm wondering, do I have enough equity to call here based on the villain's range? When I get a chance, I'll do the work myself on Poker Stove or let everybody else in this thread do it for me, <laughs> but I wanted to post anyways. So the villain, as you described earlier, is John, and you, you describe him as kind of like a bad, aggressive player. Um, he's very aggressive, bluffy guy, doesn't eat cake, so I don't like him, <laughs> makes big bets with air, or very little equity when he sees weakness. Not a strong or bright player at all. I'm sorry, John. Techno's just <laughs> ripping into you. Um, if John was going to turn a computer on, he'd be so angry. I know. 
Is John his real name? Because that that would be even more brutal. It is. Oh, I guess it is. <laughs> okay. So he says, if a bunch of people limp, then he loves to raise big and pick up those chips. If he suspects that somebody is sea betting, then he'll occasionally check raise or check shove. It's often a shove based on his stack, but almost always being because he's almost always short. Um, just because he thinks that the person doesn't have anything, which no limit hold him. Nobody ever has anything. Good assumption. I don't know why you're ripping on this guy yeah. so much. <laughs> so the hand history, as converted by the Deuces Cracked hand history custom hand history recorder producer, says the button has $80, the small blind has $39, and that's John. The big blind has $80. The hero, Tecmo Super Bowl, has $500. The hijack has $80, and the cutoff has $80. Yeah, let me just point out that the $80 is just a default amount. I didn't bother to edit all the stacks. I just put the the two relevant players' stacks were important. Equally lazy in your hand history posting as you are in your poker playing. (laughs) Nice. So Tom opens under the gun with Ace-3 of Diamonds to $8. It's six-handed. Which I I think... uh, Probably not the best idea. It would help to know what these other stacks actually were. But um, they were all they were all probably around hundred and fifty. Or eighty dollars. <laughs> They're around hundred and fifty and you wrote eighty as your shorthand? <laughs> I, I didn't put it in. You could have. Yeah, I could have, I realize. Okay, so no other short stacks at the table though? No. Okay. Well I think that just in general when you have a short stack in play, especially one like this where he's willing to, you know, go all in or raise big if people are, are limping. It's not, I don't suspect that he has like proper short stack strategy where he's <coughs> going to be three betting light a lot, but you just kind of always have to be wary of that and be wary of playing whenever there's a, uh, a short stack in play. Oh my goodness, my puppy just came home <laughs> and he is, oh, he just comes right up into the lap. How can you not love that? So um, he raises the $8, everybody else folds, and then John, our villain here, calls. The flop comes six of hearts, seven of clubs, seven of diamonds. So seven, seven, six, rainbow with a backdoor flush draw for Tom. And Tom bets $13. Villain, villain's the small blind, by the way. And the villain goes all in for 31 more. So it's, it's 20. Oh, gosh, what's the math? Well, hold on. Vill- so, villain checked the flop, and then I bet, and yeah, then the, he shoved. Okay, so it goes check, bet, shove. So it's 18 more for Tom to call, yeah. correct? Yeah, correct. And the pot is uh, 18 plus 13 plus 31. It's Quick calculator. 62. Let's just call it 80. Let's not just call it 80. Um, it's 62. Oh, now you want to not call it 80. <laughs> Um, it's 18 for me to call. The pot is 62, so I'm getting 3 to 1, essentially. Okay, and your thoughts are? Well, at the time, I was thinking that, you know, based on his um, aggressiveness, that he, you know, flop is 6, 7, 7. Uh, it's a flop that is going to miss my perceived range because every live player perceives you to have ace-king or some type of... Broadway, you know, king-queen high cards. So this is not a flop that my perceived range hits very well, not to mention that it's a paired board, meaning that you're going to, you know, hit it even less. 
Um, or Do they it, know these things in your home game? Well, no. I mean, what it's not like he knows this, the strategy behind it, but what he knows is that it's not a high flop, and, you know, 6-7, six, 6-7-7, seven, yeah, six, seven, seven, you know, he thinks, oh, he probably didn't hit that. Is the is the the length of his thought process? Um, gotcha, gotcha. So based on that, um, you know, I, he he perceives my range to be very weak. Um, so with that being said, that makes my C bet pretty questionable. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so yep. I don't know. What do you think about that? Questionable well, seemed generous to me. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty generous. In general, like I was talking about, whenever you have somebody this short, like you really kind of just have to pay attention to how big you're making the pot in general. Like you know, you're opening the four x under the gun, which would seem standard for you know full stacks. But when somebody's short, especially somebody that's willing to, you know, not going to play very weak weak tight and or weak passive, where they're just going to call a lot, and they have the option of raising. You know that can put a lot of money out there where it's not really buying you any extra fold equity, and it's not really, you know, it's not really buying you anything. Okay. So you know what is eight opening eight here versus opening like five? You know the other players that may change their ranges. So maybe you need to make it six, or maybe you need to say, okay, I have a, I have kind of a volatile short stack in the blinds here. Maybe this is a hand that I'm going to pass on because I'm not going to be sure what to do if I get shoved on. Yeah, I think so, either folding or opening to six is definitely better. Okay. And then we get to this spot on the flop where you kind of have this read that he's going to, um, you know, kind of play back on a lot of flops that don't seem to hit you. So what do you, really quick, how do you think that he would play a seven? Would he slow play a seven or would he just jam anyways? I think he would jam his... The entire continuing range, and continuing range meaning uh, a seven, a six, any pair, uh, any cards. any any draw, and occasionally just some some sort of like random overs. He's just deciding to bluff with. I think he would check okay. jam every every one of those. Okay, so what do you? How do you think you do against that range? Um, not great overall. Um. Considering you know it's either a pair that I'm losing that I got to catch up to a seven which I'm basically dead to a draw which he has some equity um, or you know I'm obviously only doing very well against his random overs that don't include an ace because if it's a random over with an ace I'm kind of screwed. But you're also getting a really good price. Yeah, well, depending on what I what price I set. Um, yeah, if I happen to to raise. 4x under the gun and then c bet too big then now i've gotten myself into a spot where i've gotten given myself a good price but right right exactly and that's and that's how you posted the hand history you said okay maybe the c bet's a little bit too big but now that i've gotten here yeah. should i call or no yeah so at the time i'm thinking you know i i don't know how well you know i i do against this range but you know i think he has enough draws um enough random overs, maybe not a lot, but enough that I can call here with, you know, what I feel like is some equity uh, based on the pot odds it's giving me. Um, So I did actually end up making the call. You think you would jam with, like, pocket deuces? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Without a doubt. And queen-ten offsuit? 
I would say like m- maybe not you know four combos of or ha- or not four you know however many combos of of queen ten offsuit, but maybe one combo of queen ten offsuit. You know, how many combos of queen ten offsuit are there? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, not twelve, not four. Yeah, twelve. Um, twelve. So yeah, maybe like one combo of that from his range. So um, you know, when I say random overs, I'm thinking you know a total number of maybe like ten combos of hands or something like that. You know. But the problem with the overs is, I think a lot of them are going to be asex that have you dominated. Yeah, that's what I was saying too. Is that so, when like, he does have an is- ace, but. But I think random overs is not going to be queen ten nearly as often. It's going to be like ace ten. Well, I'd... or like go ahead. Yeah, even like ace five. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it. I'm less worried about ace five though because counterfeiting. Like, yeah, you're going to be counterfeited. Yeah, um, but or I, I, just, I, I just any of those. How about ace eight? Yeah, ace eight's a, a <laughs> not a great card. Yeah, or so... not a great hand to be up against. So yeah, overall, I, I just didn't think I did that great against this range, but I was getting a really good price, um, and I thought, you know, and this isn't something that you necessarily want to think when you're trying to play correct poker, but I was also thinking that if he, if if I lose this pot, you know, he's, I'm two to his left, and there's a decent chance that money's going to come back to me or the guy to my right most of the time. And do you like the guy to your right? Is that why you wanted him to have your money? No, I'm just saying that's that's what it's <laughs> likely to happen. Because I like that it wasn't, and then the money will come back to me. Maybe it'll go to someone else who's good. <laughs> that would be nice. No, but I mean, it did cross my mind that Are I'm you in colluding in this home game. No, I did get accused of that uh, like a year ago at this home game, though. Um, makes sense. <laughs> story checks because, out. Did you say things like this out loud? No. <laughs> well, your money will probably go to me or this other guy. Both are fine. <laughs> yeah, both are totally okay with me because it's coming back to me either way. But totally not colluding. So speaking of things that cross your mind, did the fact that he was going to jam on you cross your mind before you bet? Um, I, it should have, and I'm not sure if it did. What was I, happening in the basketball game at the time? Well, they, they were up three. They had just dunked, and no. Um, what's uh, what's Maryland's team again? What for NBA? <laughs> Charlotte Hornets. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we don't have one. Um, the Nets. No. Hey, don't be mean. That's that's mm-hmm. Brooklyn Nets now. Um, anyway, no. Like, what team do you root for? I root for just the Lakers. Curious. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Well, yeah, I think that it's definitely important to consider, you know, every time that you do make a bet, you want to consider what's going to happen, what you're going to do if you get raised ahead of time so that you aren't put in this super awkward position afterwards where you're like, uh, I don't know what to do. Yeah, and but I think you, Tommy Angelo uh, calls it a, uh, what's it, an anticipation mistake mm-hmm. um, where, you know, you should have... It's like a lawyer. You don't ever ask a question you don't know the answer to. You should never make a bet you don't know how to, you know, respond to. I, I knew what you were going to say when I asked my question. <laughs> I... Me too. <laughs> Prosecution rests. But anyway, um, so yeah. Strike so that from the record. What are, you, what are your overall thoughts here? 
So, I mean, as I've kind of hinted towards, I think that this is probably a situation that we don't want to get ourselves into. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just opening too big, having this volatile short stack in your game should really just kind of constrict your opening range in general and definitely your c-betting range because, you know, he's very capable of doing this. And from what you're telling me is that, you know, he's capable of doing this with overcards but not a ton of combos of it. So that if you stove kind of like a range... Well, the only reason I say it's not a ton of combos of it is because... It's true. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's because I just feel like he's not going to do it every time with, you know, king-queen. I mean, just if you stove a range that pairs um, seven, sixes, and, like, all combos of king-queen to encompass overcards... Would that be a reasonable range? Yeah, and draws. Like 5-4, 8-9, 10-8 suited. with 5-4? Yeah. Okay. A 5-4 offsuit? Uh, I, just, I just included all the suited. Uh, so like 5-4 suited, 8-9 suited, 8-10 suited, 10-9 suited, stuff like that. Okay. And then... You think random overcards only like yeah, like put in just all king queens, like you said. That's probably not enough. Oh my goodness! Wow. Um, <clears throat> how many how many six X's do we give him? Like I gave him like nine six suited. Yeah, I was I gave him like uh, nine six eight six seven six five six all suited, and then a okay. a six. Suited. What about a six offsuit? Um, uh, maybe. Okay. Maybe like half so. the combos of a six offsuit. Okay. So seven five seems seven five suit seems totally yeah, yeah. possible. All all the one suited one gappers, um, around that. Okay. I mean, that's not that many overcard combos compared to the rest of the, like, you know, pairs plus gut shots. You, you include, like, pocket twos in there? Yeah, all pairs. Pocket nines? That is part of all pairs. You think he plays aces this way? Um, yeah, based on his short stack. Okay, alright. Yeah, based on his short stack, uh-huh. I don't think he's not three-betting pre- all right, well, you know, huge mistake, but that's okay. So based on the, the super biased range that Tom gives us, it looks like he has 47% equity, and that's by far enough to call on a more... You I'll know, take the under. You got you got 40, under? 40 what? 47%. Oh, wow. I got something that's, like 30 I mean, when I did mine. just described. I mean, I gave him a7, king7 suited... A6, A6 offsuit, half the combos, 8-7 offsuit, A6 offsuit, 7-6 offsuit, low pairs, some some 6-X hands, um, and then all the pairs and then king-queen offsuit. But okay. I think that if you, you know, you include, like, A7 offsuit, you know, it depends on kind of how loose he is. Does he play, like, 10-7 offsuit? And we think that he's going to do this. And then we take out some of these, like... I don't know. If you add in more like of the overcards, then it becomes better. But if you add in, you know, aces, kings, queens, jacks, that obviously takes it down a little bit. But saying significantly that given the odds, 
you should definitely call if this is what you actually think his range is. Uh, previously, I got a, I just did a range where you had like 30-ish percent, and you only need, it says here, 22.5%. Yeah, based on the math. So, yeah, I think I think you're I think you're calling. I mean, unless he's doing this strictly for value, if he has draws and a couple of random overcards, I think it's enough. It's still a stupid spot to be in, but once yeah. you're once you're there, you're there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And that's kind of what I said in the thread. I I, I said you know I didn't like the spot I was in that I put myself in, but once I got here, based on my equity versus range, and and more so, more importantly, is is that the equity I need. Uh, you know, More importantly, giving money to the guy to your right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Who you're going to split it with afterwards. <laughs> no, uh, that it, I made the call at the time, and he he did have a seven, but... Uh, and then running running flush draws and one? <laughs> no, I, I lost that hand, but... Uh, it, I. And I'm sure losing didn't help my mindset at the time, but it, even when I made the call, I, I was telling myself that I think this is a mistake. But it was nice to know that it, that particular play that on that street wasn't a mistake. Um, just everything leading just, up to exactly. It. I played that part perfectly, but I just butchered everything to that part. Okay, it's weird cool. that no one else knows you're the best in your home game. <laughs> it is weird Otherwise, though. Otherwise, they'd probably respect your raises a lot more. It, no, but it is weird that like you see a flop like six seven seven, and you think ah perfect. You know, without thinking any further, I, I was like, "Oh, perfect seabed flop." But um, what seven did he end up showing up with? Just curious. I wish I could remember. But I, th- I, th- I think it was like seven five offsuit or something like that. Okay, interesting. That that makes his range a lot wider, which which also makes you know calling probably better if he's shoving with some overcards. But yeah. So, but anyway, um, overall, you know, I had a very good night, um, and surprising. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, you should. But, how, how, I was gonna say, how about to console you on this tough thing? We go to hugging the rail, and you and TJ can hug it out. Yeah, I think that's a perfect idea. Um, Maybe it, Jordan, Jordan can go play with his dog or something. I don't know. Yeah. All right, come here. All right, yeah, we're gonna throw it to hugging the rail with Mitch. I mean, not Mitch, uh, TJ, and sick burn. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I think he's reviewing the Venetian this week. Alright, we're back with TJ. This week we're talking about which room? The Venetian at the Venetian. Is that the na- the full name of the room, the Venetian at the Venetian? <laughs> no. They should call it the Venetian at the MGM. At Palazzo. With lions and masseuses. <laughs> oh my. Um, so how does this compare with the rooms we've talked about in the past? Is it the coffee better worse? Let's get the Actually, important things out of the way. They have they have good green tea. I've switched it up this week to green tea. Oh, the healthy how option. Gonna, how are we going to establish my... a baseline now? I know. I thought I thought when I ordered it, I thought, how am I going to discuss green tea on Badoogie All Stars? And then the waitress walked away. 
<laughs> because you said that out loud? Yes. Oh, you're him. Goodbye. <laughs> I'd imagine you're if you him. said anything out loud like that to yourself, she would have walked away. You're him from Badoogie All-Star, because <laughs> the waitresses of Venetian are they're one of our big uh, fan bases. What if like they were? I like that you're pulling a Jordan and trying to say our. I'm on <laughs> It's not going to work. This is mine. I might okay. share with others, but anyway. How was the green tea? Green tea was good. It was um, warm, and it was great. I don't know what to say about green tea, really. I can't really... Like it was... <laughs> I can't really drink drink green tea. Be- I'm gonna go ahead. Oh, don't you worry. Um, I can't drink drink green tea because it just reminds me of like it try- like like it's trying to become a vegetable or something. And, <laughs> Boy, and- I'm glad I let you go. <laughs> That's clearly what, is, what it reminds. What does that mean? Do you, feel does like that? Co- do you feel like coffee is becoming a vegetable? No, no, because it's green. I thought you meant like a vegetable. Never mind. Yeah, I don't really like vegetables, especially green stuff. And, I thought and you meant like be, it, it. It makes you feel like you're going to go into a vegetative state if you drink it. Oh uh, no, no, no! Everything's you, about food with me. You got to remember that. You feel like because it is green, it is vegetable-like. Yes. So and you like, don't want to eat it. What if you put sugar in the green tea? It's still green. Okay. What if you put brown sugar in the green tea? Does it make what about it not green? Greens? What about green skittles? Are you like, oh no, it's celery? Pretty much. Okay. We've learned We've a lot. This far off track one minute into our discussion about <laughs> Venetian. Um, speaking just, of the Venetian... Yeah, um, speaking of it, let's talk about vegetables. Yeah. Uh, so it is one of the biggest rooms, right? As far as I know, I want to say the biggest. Um, I think it is... I want to say over 50 tables, and I'm not sure if that includes their... They're tournament tables. If you've ever been to Venetian, <clears throat> they have an area right outside the entrance of their main poker room where they set up, I'd say, maybe just depending on what's going on, um, anywhere between like 15 and 20 tables where they hold, I think they hold their dailies there, um, but all of their tournaments generally run outside the poker room. So, Are you saying you have that, not been measuring all the rooms for us as we requested? No. I've, I've been... Uh, Rough, rough counts. But yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 50 plus inside, and I'm pretty sure that doesn't include their tournament area. It's huge. How how is the player pool? Is it all still kind of the same? Um, it's 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 actually a pretty interesting dynamic. One of the very interesting things I've I've noticed since since grinding out here is you run into a lot of players that say they moved to Vegas to play professional poker, and they're playing one two, which. Uh, Right off the bat, I I don't know how you could sustain a living playing one two. Um, well, if you're the one of the I, best in your home game, you might be able to. Clearly, if 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 you live by yourself in a studio with no housing is pretty cheap out there, isn't it? It is, but I just can't imagine sustaining a living playing one two. I mean, if I guess if you're crushing, you could be making. I guess, I don't know, just say $30 an hour, but then all of your poker profits are going to living expenses, and then you're not putting anything back into your bankroll? I, I'm, right. I don't know. You're, I just can't. you're not buying green tea. <laughs> I mean, like, so there's other things that you're yeah. recouping. So you're not drinking healthily. That's, 
That's one of the four major food groups is vegetables, and so just drink your green tea. <laughs> That's out. <laughs> well, um, I guess I guess you were playing at the Venetian. They have they have two dollar cops um, on, for their player cards as opposed to one dollar for the rest of Vegas, which is pretty pretty big pull, I guess, for for the everyday grinder. So they actually they actually comp uh, better than other casinos. Yeah, for, for they're really high. Two two dollars is the highest that I've heard. Everywhere else is. A dollar an hour. That I haven't found one that's um, um, over a dollar. But, um, but yeah, as far as the, what I was saying about the player pool, it's um, it's interesting because a lot of times I'll sit and I'll, you'll get maybe one guy that says he is a winning player, or professional, or whatnot, and he'll get to he. A lot of those guys, it seems like they try to justify it by their table talk, and which is usually pretty bad for the game. I was playing last night at Venetia, and there was, there was four or five guys that were getting some pretty, I wouldn't call it deep, but they were talking a lot of quote-unquote strategy. And when you have that many people, it's kind of nice to sit there and listen to them. Listen, they're basically telling you how they play poker. And uh, Yeah, that doesn't sound very professional. No, not at all. So it's it's funny that uh, that they say that at all. But I don't know. I don't know where people get off saying that, but it's interesting. I'm curious about. It's like the, calling uh, yourself the best in the home game. It's like who says that kind of stuff, <laughs> right? Um, now I'm curious about the comps, though. Uh, how does that? Because I know poker is like very uh, food based. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's basically food. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, poker is very <laughs> low on the totem pole of like getting comps compared to like table game. Or, I mean, uh, like you know roulette and all that. Right. Um. Do you know? You say like poker is generally one dollar. One dollar per hour, and then swipe, swiping your player card. Venetian's two dollars per hour. And do you know how that compares to like other games? I I really have no idea how. Uh, I mean, I play. I never play table games. Yeah, me neither. I've just. I, I mean, I, I I've heard that those are much higher. So I didn't. Yeah, know. I mean, let's get down to the real question. Just asking, what game does he have to play to get kicked the fastest? <laughs> <laughs> I, bet, um, I mean, I'm assuming that's what we're going for. We're, yeah, we're I mean, I was trying to be sort of, you know, walk around it, you know, travel. Buffet around. roulette, I think, is the one. How many hours of poker for one piece of cake? <laughs> A Venetian, I'd say uh, four. All right, I can do that. That's a that's a guess. Now, the, the, they have some good mixed games there, don't they? They do. They, um... I played there last night, which was what's today Wednesday, so Tuesday. So during the week, I'm not sure if, if just it's just not busy to run all their games. On the weekends, I know they do have a mix. That um, one of the guys from DC was out here for a while. He was playing. I think it's an eight sixteen mix, and I'm pretty sure he said it's kind of similar to MGM Badugi Badesi Triple Draw, and I don't remember the other game, but that's an eight sixteen. They that is exactly run. the game you described from MGM. <laughs> yeah, Three yeah, games and then something yeah, else I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't remember. It's um, And then they have... They run a 1-2 PLO Omaha. Um, and then they have a bunch of Omaha high lows that are all half kill. Different levels of that. Do you think I was sat down in that game with a Badoogie All-Star shirt? I would look intimidating. <laughs> I don't think they would even care. I think the fact that it was drawn in marker would give you away. <laughs> <laughs> With the patch that you stapled on because you didn't know how to put it on. <laughs> yeah, but that's actually uh, one of the big reasons why I, I like the Venetian is because they do offer such a 
big mix because they have so many tables. They're in a huge, yeah, huge uh, selection. And um, speaking about your cake, they actually are. A, a lot of the poker rooms don't serve food table side. Venetian does, which is good and bad, um, depending on how you look at it. How do you look at it? Well, I'm not a fan of people buying um, finger foods and then playing poker with me. It kind of grosses me out. But at the same time, it's nice to not have people leaving the table to go eat. Yeah, that's why I think you uh, strictly eat cake with a fork, and then you're good to go. I eat everything with a fork when I'm playing poker. If I, which I usually don't even eat table side because it's just a huge distraction. But uh, yeah, and actually, I actually never have eaten table side, but part of me wants to. <laughs> is that the part of you that wants to play poker but also wants cake? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's what what part of you? That's all of you. <laughs> no, I think uh the rest of you just wants cake. Yeah, so I feel like the Venetian is going to be my new home. The Venetian's a nice. Venetian's probably my favorite big room. Um their 1 2 game is a $300 buy-in. They do have adjustable chairs which is nice. And the waitresses? Uh, I don't think there are any hot poker waitresses. Really? I don't. Th- I haven't seen any. I really haven't. Um, they're all, I don't know. Like, they came here when Vegas like started being popular and never left. They're all old. Every waitress is old in the poker rooms. I don't know. I can't, I can't find a good one. When I'll find one. I'll, I'll let you know. All right. I appreciate it. And we'll go ask there. them why they're so old. Is there a reason? Like maybe there's. I mean, I wouldn't ask. What is wrong with you? <laughs> why are you old? <laughs> See if you can figure out why all the old waitresses are in the poker room. Is that a seniority thing? Is it because poker players have been there so long they can't see straight and don't want to admire waitresses? Is it have to do with that centrifugal thing from last time? I don't. <laughs> I'll, I'll find a sneaky. I don't know. How am I supposed to ask that? That's weird. How long have you been waiting here? <laughs> and why? Why? <laughs> oh, nothing better come along? I feel like I'm not going to get my green tea very fast if I ask that. I would ask that post-green tea. Mm, and just say, the tea, just say the vegetables have gone to my head. <laughs> they won't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, any, anything else that you, you think is noteworthy about the Venetian? Um, the... It's a it's a pretty short walk from South Park. Uh, I South Park at all the casinos. Oh, I thought you said South Park. <laughs> no, from South Park. Oh, okay. Um, it's actually a very short walk. <laughs> it's right it's right down the um, the stairs and it's a, from the uh, parking garage. And um, yeah. It's, it's so nice. where where do you rank it among some of the other ones that we've reviewed? I mean, in, in my opinion, if just all things considered, I would I would say Venetian's probably the best room in Vegas right now. I mean, Aria's like the trendy room to hey, go no, to. No spoilers about the Aria. We haven't talked about that one yet. Don't <laughs> ruin future segments. <laughs> Aria, Aria's kind of the trendy place to be, but I think... Um, if what did you're I just say about spoilers? For, for a lot of space and uh, just a real comfortable atmosphere, I think Venetian's, Venetian's the best place to go. In my opinion, it also has so, the Grand Lux Cafe, which has great, great pasta and amazing chocolate cake. That place is really good. God. So what you're saying is there's no point in listening to this segment any further because it's all downhill from here. <laughs> well, 
There's different. You can go for a different experience. You don't have to go to. There may be great stories to come from these smaller rooms. That's true. It's sort of like podcasts. You can listen to the best, but we're here too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that wraps it up. Um, which casino are we going to do next? That that's to be determined. Let's we have to leave them hanging so they come back for more. Oh, okay, I was I was trying for the whole professional feel, but you know, I see, I see we're not going to go down that road. No, we we want the cocktail waitresses to be hanging on. Yeah, that's, <laughs> right. that's right. They'll be they're sitting there holding their green tea, just wondering <laughs> what's next. All right. Well, I think that's it. So let's bring it in. Let's hug let's it out. Hug it out. Let's hug it out. Thanks, TJ. We'll be right back with our feature interview. This is Tommy Angelo, and you're listening to Badoogie All-Stars. I don't know why you would be, but apparently you are. You might want to uh, just examine what that means about your life. All right, guys, we're back with uh, Zach Elwood, the author of Reading Poker Tells. Welcome. Hi, guys. How's it going? Good, good. So Tom has not read the book because he doesn't like reading, but Jordan and I have read the book. I just... I've read most of the book, to be fair. Jordan's reading the, Jordan's reading the book right now. <laughs> I, <laughs> Thanks I for kind of am. Um, so just a little bit of, start with background. You know, how did this book come to be? Is it? You know, something you've been working on for a while or pretty recent? Yeah, too long, in fact. Um, so I don't play for a living anymore. I, I played for a living for three years. It was about, uh, it was the years of around 2003 to 2006. And then I got out of the scene and moved to, uh, moved to Portland. I, I lived in Albuquerque when I was playing for a living. And standard gambling online, hotbed. <laughs> yeah, you know, not not a lot of people would would say it was, but at the time, you know, with the the poker boom kind of going on at around that time, and it was like increasing as I was there, while I was there, and they were getting more and more bigger games, and that might have been the peak of it for all I know. Um, but yeah, there were some there were some pretty good pretty good games there, and there were a lot of home games too, which I never really got into. Um, but yeah, for a time there, I think that was its, the peak of Albuquerque's gambling uh, history. <laughs> That's uh, pretty sweet. So it was, you know, good time to be there for that, I guess. So you just busted everybody and left town, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, not quite actually. Uh, I had I, I had uh, money management issues. That, you know, to be honest, I had uh, some serious uh, money management issues as far as like. Spending too much money and and playing too short in some games and going out of town and playing in some games I shouldn't have been playing in and so uh, that was part of my 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 major leak I felt looking back on it it's easy to see looking back on it but did you play uh, just live primarily live but I also played ten twenty limit uh, that was my main game online and I played on like the really juicy years of uh, party poker 
I was going to say, 03 to 06, that's a, a good time to have played online poker. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. Like, I didn't even think I was that, you know, I, I still don't think I'm that great a limit player. I'm, I'm pretty humble about my abilities, when it, you know, strategically, but those games were just so soft, and, you know, they were just as, which is crazy, they were even softer than the, the live games, you know, which is saying a lot, <laughs> you know? So those games were good, and... Um, but you know, long story short, I, I I got out of the scene and kind of went straight, as it were, and moved up to Portland and got a job. And uh, actually moved up to Portland just because I didn't think there was anywhere to play poker around here, and I I wanted to kind of I wanted to try something new. And um, but as it turned out, there was some poker up here, so kept, kept, <laughs> kept playing a bit. <laughs> nice. So, so what made you want to write a book on tells? Um, well. Basically, the fact that I, you know, I, I want to avoid, you know, in, in, insulting anyone's work, but I, the the work that was out there, the the main books, which I would say were Mike Caro's Book of Tells and Navarro's stuff, I just I knew that I was capable of writing a better book than them, and it wouldn't be hard. Like, it's not like I think I'm some kind of tell genius, and I think I'm, you know. The the best there ever was at reading tells. It was more like I read their I read their books and you know there was just so much more to be said. I mean it, they didn't address subtleties and tells that I see would see every day. You know that I relied on like some of the stuff I used in my game that I, that I knew wasn't secret. Like I've talked to other poker players who knew this stuff too, and it's like you know a lot of good players or a lot of, a lot of experienced live players know these things. But I was always wondering, you know, why why is nobody writing about this stuff? You know, why why am I not seeing it anywhere? So you know, I, and I, I had that thought back in like, you know, 2005 or something. I was like, yeah, you know, maybe I should write a poker tales book, uh, just kind of a pipe dream. And then like the longer time went on, and I still hadn't seen because I was fully expecting some you know big live player like Jen Harmon or somebody like that, or you know Phil Ivey or somebody to come out with the ma- most amazing you know, Poker Tell's book in existence, and I'd be like, oh, okay, you know, I shouldn't waste my time. But, like, the longer time went on, I didn't see that coming, and I was really surprised, really, because you had all this influx of poker strategy, which was, you know, great stuff. A lot of it was, you know, really revolutionary stuff, and I'm like, where's the book on Poker Tell's that's going to change the game and stuff? You know, not saying mine's going to necessarily change the game, but I'm like, I can, I know I can, I, I know I can give these guys a run for the money, and I, I know in my heart that what I make will be better and more practical than what these guys wrote. And, uh, and that's with full respect to Mike Carroll. I think his book was great, but I also think he wrote it for such a, you know, such a beginner audience. Like he was writing that book for people, uh, for pros taking advantage of people who were complete beginners, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and had like the most, this kind of stuff you'd only see if you were playing like nickel dime quarter in your garage or something, you know, in your home game. Um, you know, you don't see that kind of stuff anymore, like the really obvious stuff. So I, you know, so I, but his, his stuff was correct. You know, it just, it just needed some, you know, a more subtle take on it and, and, and fitting in some of the stuff that I'd seen uh, that wasn't mentioned by anybody else. So let's, let's stop okay. sugarcoating it. You, you hate Mike Caro and you want to crush him with an iron fist. <laughs> I love, I love Mike Caro. I'm not, not. <laughs> It's not burn bridges. We might have him on the podcast later. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> oh, would it, he's a surprise guest to be on here with me. That's yeah. Cool. <laughs> Let's bring him out. Yeah. <laughs> you are not the father. Oh, wait, no. That's a different show. That's, 
I'm not doing the Mori thing anymore, no. I think that would be a terrible turn for our podcast to take, is turning into the Jerry Springer Actually, poker it podcast. Be, it would be a great ratings booster. Yeah. <laughs> probably, probably. Um, yeah, so with with regard to that, when I first started out playing poker, I read Mike Caro's book, and one of the things I really like about your book is that it seems a lot more practical, and you also put a lot of focus on you know, playing good fundamental poker uh, ahead of tells almost. Mm-hmm. Um, when I when I first started reading it, I think that a lot of other people were kind of under this impression is that poker professionals could tell exactly what you had based on you scratching your nose. Like that means that you have the ace of spades in your hand. <laughs> or and how you eat a cookie, perhaps? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whether right. you twist the Oreo clockwise or counterclockwise. It's about time and we got to Oreos. Yeah, and then I read Mike Caro's book, and it has all these things about false tells and this, and it seemed really intimidating. And then, like you said, I went to the casino to play, and nobody did those things, those really like over-the-top, exaggerated things that you might find in your home game. So I like that you, you focus on a lot more practical tells in your book, and also that it comes from a place where you know it says, learn how to play good fundamental poker first, which... You know, as a primarily online player that dabbles in live, I think that's just you know going to do tremendous amounts for your game. Instead of you know looking at whether somebody uh, looks weak or looks strong in a certain spot, which can definitely help, like you said, but it, it's kind of like an icing on the cake thing. Or um, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong in saying that, though. No, no, no. It's it, that's exactly what I was trying to get across because I think you know me writing the book, I was always feeling really self conscious about it because you know. Even even myself, when I hear other people talk about tells, I'm usually like, oh, they sound like a fish, you know. Uh, so I was, you know, I'm like, I, I want to make clear. My goal was to make clear to everybody because, you know, is to make clear that it, it's such a tells are such a small part of it. It's like you need to. I mean, there, there's just so much to fundamental strategy, and that's going to be making your money, you know, 90 percent of the time. Uh, but in a live game, you can catch some reads, and they could change your decisions away from what you you know what you would have picked in a, in a from your fundamental strategy. So I, I wanted to make those points, even though they might be obvious to a lot of people like yourselves. It's like, but I know I'm going to have a lot of people reading this who are like thinking like, oh, you know, the, these com- the amateur really real amateurs might read this book and be like, oh, you know, I, now I know tells I can go out and destroy everyone. You know, it's like I want to make sure I give a really realistic portrayal of like where you can use these and how important they are, which is not very, you know, to get down to it. So I, I, I felt it was my responsibility to try to phrase everything I said in a really realistic way, which is kind of not what I've seen other writers when they talk about tells do. It's more like, hey, you're going to make a shitload of money with this tell, you know? Like, yeah. Yep. You know, I don't want to I don't want to be the guy who acts like that. And I, and, I, and, I, and I have always – that was actually one of the hardest things writing is just the language. And, like, I never wanted to say something that – could not be defended. So, like, I went over this thing with a fine-tooth comb because I never want to be like, this always means this. You know, it's uh, finessing the language was the hardest thing to do, and I want to uh, give an accurate portrayal of, you know, at least how I see tells. You know, it's possible there, you know, like I, like I say in the book, I'm like, I think maybe I'm like at a, you know, a 60% of what's possible with reading tells. So maybe there are poker players out there that could see you scratch your nose and know what you have, but, it, you know, most of the time that's not going to be me. <laughs> good. And I think that you did a really good job with that. 
in the book. Yeah, um, I, wish... I also like the language that you used, where you talk about like defining hand ranges, and you say, okay, if you see this, you can say this. A strong hand is probably not in his hand range, so that some a complete amateur will be like, all right, what's a hand range, and then actually start you know figuring out how to learn poker correctly. Right, because yeah. I've had people I've had people tell me. Uh, some some amateur players who I just know, you know, they just I play with them occasionally in home games and stuff, friendly home games, and they were like, "Oh, I'm gonna read your book and uh, then go to the casino," and I'm like, uh, "No, seriously, don't do that." <laughs> yep. You know, it's yeah. like, and then I have to like, then they, they then then they just think I'm being some sort of downer. I'm like, "No, man, like if if you're serious, like there's lots of books you should read first, <laughs> you know." So by the way, chapter four is about you, so. No? What's that? I said, and by the way, chapter four is all about this one guy. <laughs> right, right. Why don't you turn inward first before you go to the casino? <laughs> right. So were, were there things that in, I mean, not to name Carol's name, but in Carol's book that you felt like were either too absolute or no longer apply now and you were just completely off base? Or was it just that people have read that book and you think it's like gone to a new level? No, it's not that. I, I think the stuff... I don't think it's gone to a new level. I think, uh, you know, even in his day, if there were good players, they wouldn't be exhibiting those over-the-top tells that he talked about. Now, I, I think, uh, you know, the main thing was, I think, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure Caro is full aware of this, like, that, that's kind of one of the things that surprised me, too, because I was always, you know, after 30 years and, and so much success with this book, I'd always expected Caro to come back out with, like, the new Bible, you know, and maybe maybe my book will spur him to do that, you know, because I know... I, I'm sure that Caro has more information than what's in his book. I, I know he is probably sitting on some interesting information, or maybe he's not, and maybe he's just kind of resting on his laurels. I don't know. But I, I've always felt like he was capable of coming out with some huge, you know, much more, you know, in-depth and complex treatment of tells. But with the with his original book, I just felt like, yeah, it was it was too simplistic, and he used too much kind of like simplistic kind of marketing marketing speak, you know, like. This is such a. This is going to be the, you know, you're going to win all the money with these tells. You know that kind of that kind of like, unrealistic mm-hmm. uh, treatment. Just the language he used, kind of like, you know, and that was part of his shtick was the whole crazy professor, uh, mad scientist or whatever. Um, yep. So he he wanted to, he wanted to portray that a bit, but I I felt like he did a disservice to you know using using the tells practically and, and and using them in more, maybe subtle or complex situations. You know. Yeah, I mean, I felt like Carol's book was like flashcards of tells, and you could study them and try and find something that matched at your card room, but it wasn't, it didn't teach a thought process to me. It seemed a little too just rote memorization, which I, I don't feel like tells work that way. In my, what little experience I have with playing live poker, it's not, oh, he did this, so it means this. It's, there's a baseline you kind of have to establish and all that sort of stuff. And that's, I mean, I, with your book, I mean, not to just heap praise upon you. Oh, I'll take it. I'll keep keeping it. But that's that's what we do here. In that case, I'll be back. Sweet. Yeah, my biggest my biggest issue with Caro's book is that I tried to use it as a flashcard, but reality isn't in black and white. So I I kept I kept looking for black and white tells, and so I've been waiting for Caro to come out with a colored book, and it's just it's not working out. How long have you been have you been waiting to say that? Seven minutes. <laughs> I have Kara's yeah. book right in front of me right now. It's it's hard to match up the big hair and glasses as well. That's yeah. Really... Well, the one thing, Which not one to I... completely just talk about Kara's book, but I like here it says reliability, 
Weak players, 92%. Average players, 90%. Strong players, 78%. Where is he getting Whoa. these numbers? What? <laughs> That's good. stuff out. I mean... Oh. He tried to Everybody give knows that it's like 92.8%, obviously. <laughs> if he had used the metric system, it would be totally more accurate. <laughs> I, I, liked, I thought it was funny in Kara's book because I think he really tried to give the impression that he had actually, like, you know accumulated this huge database of information you know and that that was what he was trying to get across with those precise numbers like he had go, he had poured through you know all these stacks and stacks of papers he had accumulated and while he watched people play but you know i think we, I, I i think it's unlikely that that's what happened yes i agree <laughs> mad scientist i think it's more likely he just made them up <laughs> hey i believed him back then so it worked on me <laughs> it's just like real science you just yeah it's 678 yeah, it's like global warming. <laughs> oh, sensitive subject. Sensitive subject. So, I mean, just just briefly though, could you tell us any any very common tells for for us and for our listeners that you know, for us. pop up a lot? Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll make a stab at it. Um, you know, it's kind of hard for me to say them. I guess I can say the most common. Yeah, they're the ones I use probably the most frequently. Um, I would say, you know, and, and, a lot, and some of these, you know, other people have written out some of these. So we could go from the common tells to ones that I think a lot, not a lot of people know about. Maybe I'll segue into Ooh. that. Ooh, um, I like that. Okay, so uh, defensive chip grabbing, uh, you know, is, is the big one I see. And it, it's like when you're getting ready to bet and you see another player kind of go for his chips a little bit, like even if it's just touching their chips, you know, and uh, so say it's your turn to bet, and and you and you're like thinking about picking up your chips, and you see your opponent reaching for his chips, and I think I think Caro covered that one. Like he made it real obvious, like where somebody was like holding a stack of chips ready to call you. You know that can be an example. You can see that in some limit games where people are much less guarded about their tells, but you know you see it in no limit games a lot too. It's a much more subtle variation where you you might just see somebody like put their hand or their finger on their chips, and it's like. They're not trying. They're not trying to send you a conscious signal. They're more just like it, it's actually a manifestation of, of real, like body fear, where they're tr- That's their that's their uh, you know reaction to to trying to stop you to bet, and, and, and they're not doing it consciously. It's more like, oh, I'm going to try to portray a slight bit of strength, you know, they're, and they're doing it unconsciously. And so it's this slight tell of like reaching for their chips or putting their hand on their chips or even just touching their chips or even getting their hand near their chips sometimes, you know, as long as you've correlated with that, what that player usually does in that situation, it it can be really meaningful. Um, So I use that one a lot. I'll pause, you know, if it's my turn to bet, I'll pause for a couple seconds and I never, I never do anything where I'm like getting ready to push my chips out, but I might like riffle my chips as if I'm thinking about a bet. And that sometimes that's enough to get a little tell like that out of somebody, you know? And so, to, so cl- to clarify, when when you say like they're defensive or or scared, or, or what does that mean? Like, how does that translate? It means, it, means, oh, it means that they don't want you to bet. Sorry, yeah, they're weak. Okay, uh, I didn't explain that. I guess, um, yeah, they're they're weak. They don't want you to bet. So they're implying through their kind of defensive chip grabbing that oh, I'm going to call you if you bet. They're trying to dissuade you from calling, right? So therefore, they're you know therefore they're they're weak. I got you. Because if, you know, if they were actually strong, they wouldn't put up any kind of obstacle to your bet. And, and you know, Kara mentions that too. That's a pretty common one. Uh, nice. But can I, you yeah, can you ahead. expand on what you said that by uh, correlated? 
Right. Um, well, you know, for this example, you know, I would never say that if I saw a guy, if it was my turn to bet and I saw a guy reaching for his chips or touching his chips, you know, I would never say that that always means he's weak. I would say, you know, if I played with that guy in a few hands and saw him in that same situation and in that, and in, this, in that same situation, he would, he would reach for his chips defensively like that when he was weak. If I'd seen that, you know, in other situations, like say he weak, he reached for his chips defensively and somebody bet and he folded or else somebody bet and he called and he was real weak, like a crying call, uh, that would tell me he's weak, right? That, you know, you have to correlate what you're seeing with his previous actions. And that's, that, you know, that's really hard to do sometimes. It takes, it takes getting used to watching for this stuff. Uh, in, this, in the same regard, like if I saw him, you know, he could, do, he, he could really, he could have that same action all the time. Like say he has the nuts and he's doing that defensive chip grabbing thing and he calls and he's got the nuts. Well, you know, or it, in that case, you would have to not count that tell at all or maybe it's even a reverse tell where it could be, you know, meaningful if he's doing it. But the point is, you need to study someone a few times in a, in, a, in similar spots and see if that tell that could be is very common for some people. See if that tell is there or if it's not there. So you're saying you, so you're saying if he's defensive, I should put my whole role on the table and go all in on the first instance of this. Not a, no. <laughs> <laughs> first of all, what casino are you playing at? You can just add your whole roll on the table in the His, middle of the hand. It's no, my home how game. How small is your roll that it's the whole roll is on the table to begin with? That's the question to be asked. Short stacker. Yeah, that's true. He he has no money. Um, so so you wouldn't def- like say this tell is used really commonly. So against an unknown, I'm just going to use it as information. You're going to wait and actually see. He yeah. did this, I saw his hands, and then start building a conclusion from there. Yeah, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm always watching people. I mean, it, it, you, you want, if you're interested in tells, you've got to always be watching people in these, in these, what I call the significant spots. You know, it's like, these aren't spots that are like a, a small continuation bet on the flop kind of spots. These are spots where like a good, you know, and, and I guess we're primarily talking about no limit here, but also it applies a lot of times to limit, but you know, these are significant spots in no limit, like, you know, uh, you, you're getting ready to make a big bet on the river and you see somebody doing this, you know, and, and uh, you know, if it's an unknown, like, say it's somebody who just sat down and I see them performing this tell that means weakness to me, you know, like 80% of the times, I'd say, I I still, you know, depending on my read, and that's the other thing, like, I will I will use these things on unknowns if I, if I read them as weak players, you know, like, if... If I, if they strike me as a potential, and you can get a sense for just how they look around, just how they handle the chips, just how comfortable they look at the table, you can you can get a sense immediately, you know, for who's a good player and who's not. I think, you know, and some people are better at it than others. But like if I if I sit down with an unknown and I see that, uh, you know, I might act on it, I might not, just depending on is this is does this look like a player who's going to give me an accurate tell on this spot, you know? But usually my my advice is, and what I usually do is is to get that good correlation a few times, which it doesn't doesn't take too long in most games. I mean, unless you're in a tournament and it's going really slow. But in, in, in most cash games, you're going to see people in a few significant spots where they're either, you know, having the, you know, they've got a strong hand or they've got a weak hand and they're bluffing. You know, you're going to see them in some significant spots where you can correlate. You want to get those two extremes, you know. Um, that's what it's all about, and I think I think that's where where people get kind of confused with tells is because there's just so so much information. Where do you focus your attention on without completely 
forgetting about how people are playing fundamentally, you know. So you, you want to look for these significant, start studying people in these significant spots, and then you have a database of like, okay, this guy performed this tell when he was weak, then he did it again a few minutes later, so I'm feeling pretty good about it. Then he performed this other tell, that kind of an opposite behavior when he was strong, so I'm feeling really good about it that these are correlated in, in, in an extreme, you know, kind of bipolar way. Um, yeah, so it's all about the correlation, you know, and I think that's another thing that, that other people writing about it have missed is, like, stressing that. You know, it's, it's easy to make pay lip service to it, like Navarro would say something like, oh, you got to get a baseline, you know, and but, but he... Mm -hmm. He's never really told you what does getting a baseline mean, and what and what are the important things to watch for, and how should I get a baseline, and how should I correlate that behavior, you know? So I was trying to you know trying trying to build on all that stuff and and say here's a practical way to to try to study people, and that's actually I, I could add a lot more about that. I actually had a, a an idea for ways to watch you know ways to sit down and, and study your opponents it, it would have been a whole other, other section of like what do you look for first and what are your strategies when you sit down to, to watch people but I, I felt like the book had already taken me so long and you know that's I kinda, why you have I, a sequel I, yeah yeah I could do a sequel or I could just put it on my blog I'm kind of I overshare on my blog I think <laughs> <laughs> two books better than one book <laughs> my blog I think is longer than my book <laughs> nice, nice. There's actually a lot of really good stuff on your blog. Um, Where's the blog? How do you find it? Yeah, it's it's uh, readingpokertales.com. Sweet. And I check out the. Uh, I really like the the P.S. Hines one. I was really proud of that, just because I've been wanting to do something like that for a while, where I had access to you know a long tape session where I could really try to find some statistically significant stuff and really draw attention to it because I've never seen anybody do that before. So I, you know, that was my chance to do that. And, and it took me a while, admittedly. It wasn't, you know, there were only, when I watched it live or with the 15-minute delay, there was only a couple of spots I saw where I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure I know what's going on there. Uh, and then, like, and once I keyed into that, I went back and watched it several more times, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is this is uh, you know consistent across the board." And I, I just think it's a great example of like anybody who tells you tells aren't important, you should show them that that post. I think I do a really good job of, of breaking down like, look at this. You can't argue with these, you know, this stuff I put together of showing but, him in different situations. And yeah, it's really cool how you use the uh, YouTube footage there as well as pictures. Um, I really like that and. Just as a, a nice little teaser, we're not going to tell you what the actual tell is, so oh. you have to go to the blog. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's def right. definitely worth a read, though. I, I found it very interesting, um, especially on such a high-profile stage where you would expect, you know, with the months of preparation of the November 9, them to be really cognizant of tells, um, but still be able to pick up on them. Yeah, it's crazy how he just, every time he touched his nose, he had the ace of spades. <laughs> <laughs> So I you, thought, sorry, spoiler, I, I was going to spoil it. Oh, dang it. When you ordered okay. that uh, packet of Oreos, I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> but, but related that, I mean, in terms of preparation, is it, it keeping your tells to your, yourself and hiding them seems like it's not that hard if you're aware of kind of the things that you might naturally be doing? Or is it even a good player going to be giving off tells here and there in stressful spots? I, I think it's definitely true that if you're if you're a good player who's cognizant of, you know, what it, what's possible to be given away, then you should be hard to read. 
I, I agree with that. And uh, but I do think that sometimes something some things will leak out. Like it's almost like you got a blind spot. You know, it's like, and, and I, I know it's true for myself too because I've you know as much as you try to hide all the information, it doesn't seem like it's that much information because it's like, oh, okay, you got your you got your face, you got your posture, you got your you know. Uh, keep your hands still, get your eye contact, look at one spot after you bet, you know, you got all these things locked down, but then it's like every once in a while something will sneak through, like you get a little bit too relaxed with a good hand and you find that your arm's mo- moving around or your hand's doing something weird, you know, uh, where that give away, that might give away your level of relaxation, you know, uh, so I, 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 I do think you know, it's it's pretty hard to find tells on good players, good ex- live, good experienced live players. Uh, the thing with P.S. Hines, though, which was wh- why I was really interested in watching that and trying to get a uh, blog out of it, I, I had I had full confidence that I would find something on those guys, something substantial, because I knew that they hadn't played much live before. I, kn- I knew that they were both very good online players, and, and, but not played much live. So it was perfect to me because I'm like, oh, I'm going to find something substantial here. You know, and I did, and you know, so immediately I was called Stasco's people and told them and sold them this information. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the interesting thing was I, I kind of watching the very last heads up bit of that with him and Stasco. I kind of felt like somebody had keyed Pius into it. Maybe I, I could have just been imagining it because I felt like it. He got better at the very end, like I'm talking like the last 20 minutes or something. So maybe it was possible somebody somebody told him about it. But I just didn't uh, notice. Definitely possible. Definitely yeah. possible. Uh, I'm sure. He, I'm actually... sure he doesn't do it now. I'm. Sh- I, I would be shocked if he still has that same tell because I'm sure people have told him about that. Yeah. If it, yeah. even if it, if it wasn't me, it'd be somebody else. You know. Take yeah, credit. Was... Look what you look what you taught him. <laughs> well, I sent him. I sent him. I sent him some tweets, and he never responded. I sent him a few tweets. I was like, "Hey, man, I should be interested," but I never heard back from him. So. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I was we're... actually there at the final table live, and with the 15 minute delay. Every you know, every time that they got a break or they were out of a hand, the players were going and talking to their friends to find out what what this person had, you know, right. 15 minutes prior. And I'm sure that stuff like the tells ended up surfacing there. So it's definitely possible that somebody could have alerted into it while yeah, it was still I think, playing. I think so. Yeah. So do you think? I mean, in terms of tells as an online player, things like timing tells are really a factor or is it just so unpredictable because you don't know if the guy's playing nine tables or got yeah. up, got up to get a pizza or whatever or is there are there certain things that you've seen that are like at least a little more of an indication than random well online i never played much online no limit it was mostly the 1020 limit i played online mm-hmm. so um i can't you know i i don't have much to say about that i i do think that most of it's pretty random, and I, I think that I think you know I think like for anything I think for specific players they could uh, they could definitely have some some bed timing tells that are specific to them you know like the usual thing you know I, the the chapter in my book about bed timing it, it could probably most of it probably applies to online too I would think I'd agree uh, with that yeah you know it's just the general i think you guys were probably all well aware of that general idea before you you read that i would guess is that right you know just the, the general idea i put in there and the, about the bet timing does that well did that with, ring a bell? without spoiling without <laughs> oh, spoiling too much of what the yeah. book is um the one thing that i think definitely correlates is the the insta call in 
in live poker, you know, instant can be, you know, less than a second up to like a second or two even. But online poker, it's literally just like right away. And you can tell that if somebody just insta calls you, they gave no thought to raising unless they're getting very, very tricky with like a, a very solid hand. So right. I think that, that definitely applies. As far as like longer ones, like you said, you know, they could be up walking their dog or you know, the yeah. internet cut out on That's them. The for a part. That's the tough part, I think, with the longer ones. But yeah, it's, uh, speaking of the instant one, do you would you agree it's it's more because I in my experience. The instant call, like of a of a significant bet, say somebody calls like a a turn bet instantly. Um, in my mind, it's usually going to be a hand like top pair, weak kicker, uh, maybe even you know, maybe even second pair. Or, but it's usually going to be a draw in my in my experience. You know, like the draw is like the one thing where they're not going to think about you know putting in a raise there, but they're like, oh, this is obviously worth the draw. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. I think that, you know, one of the one of my coaches kind of described it to me as having like three kind of categories of hands, which is like your your really good premium type hands that you're happy to get all in with anyways, and then kind of like a medium strength hand which you're gonna be calling with that has like a lot of equity, like like a draw, you know. If you have like an open ended flush or not even an open ended, just like a naked flush draw, you have, you know, roughly like thirty percent equity, depending on what the board is and stuff, and then like your junky hands. So if it kind of falls into that middle category, there's really, you know, not too much of a question whether you're gonna be raising or folding, you're usually just gonna be calling. So that's draws, that's you know, good middle pair hands, that's uh, weak top pair hands. And depending on who you're playing with, even like you know under pairs to like middle pair or something like that. Yeah, and I've also found right. that and, and that the quick call is I almost liken it to sort of like the the protecting your chips type thing where it, you're trying to act stronger than you are um, in ter- right. in terms of like oh you're yeah I don't care about your bet I call you know when when you really do care and you wish they didn't make the have, have made that bet or or had made it smaller or something. Right, that's a good that's a good point too. Yeah, I'm not sure if I mentioned that, but that's a real really good point. I, I'm not sure if I mentioned that in the book, but that would be a good one. Um, yeah, and also when Score. you know when <laughs> uh, when the, when they call, when they call immediately, you know, it's also telling you, oh, obviously raising is not something they were you know is isn't something they were going to think about for a few seconds. So that tells you a lot too. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, wouldn't they raise there with you know, this amount of range, we can take that range out of their, you know, that range out of the range. Um, so, you know, it, it, depending on the player, I think it can let you narrow it down. You know, like you said, they could be getting tricky with us, you know, a set or something, but that's not usually going to be the case, I don't think. Yeah, sets are hard to hard to make. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, and I see people occasionally will, like, check call, check call, bet pot on the river really fast when they bust, when a draw miss. Or something, they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna bluff," and I think it's kind of the same thing that Tom was saying. That it's, "Oh, look how strong I am. I'm just gonna bet." But no one ever value bets. They don't, you know, snap, hit, pot, bet, especially when they've been calling the other streets. That's the right. kind of stuff. I think again, it's acting quickly is a little more in- indicative of something than acting slowly online. So right, I would agree. I would agree with that. Actually, it's funny you brought this up because this is one of the things I'm fixing. In the book right now, I'm actually adding a couple paragraphs uh, based on some stuff people said. I, I felt like I 
like didn't like, write that like section me. as well. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> some people before you, uh, but I mean, you too. smart people. <laughs> yeah, but people, so, people that actually read books. <laughs> so so I'm fixing it. Uh, I don't want to say I'm fixing it because I, I think it's okay, pretty okay as it is. But I I wanted to add a couple clarifications in there. Like it's basically some of the stuff we were just talking about, and also you know the fact of when somebody does bet immediately, like you, the place you usually see it. It's kind of like uh, when when somebody is like triple triple barreling uh, a bluff, and then you know so uh, they'll triple barrel and it, they've kind of like painted themselves into a corner for a bluff. So they're like, okay, I'm gonna bet immediately again. You know, you kind of see that pattern a lot too. You know, live and online too. I think, um, and and that was one thing that somebody mentioned to me. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a really good point. And so I wanted to put a little bit about that in there, and also along with the concept of, like, how hard is the board to read? Like, if, if a crazy card, you know, changes the board on the river and somebody still bets immediately, uh, that could be a clue that they're bluffing and just were tied into a bluff, but, you know, you know, didn't get a chance to take into that take that card into account. Or it could mean that they're so strong that they knew the last card wouldn't matter. So, you know, all this stuff's pretty complicated. But Yeah, I think when most people hear tells, they think, you know the, the the hand over the mouth type thing, but I you know certainly betting and timing tells are are right in there, and if not even more important, I think. Right, and I think uh, you know it's I think it's hard online just because you don't you don't really have a sense sometimes of of uh, of how they're playing. I, I guess you do it. You know, if, you, if you've been playing with them for a while, you do. But I think I think live bet timing you can sometimes get a really good sense of people because you combine it with all these live other live you know things about them um you know like you know how they hold their how they hold their chips are they are they doing the defensive thing or are they doing some other things and kind of like you get this kind of like information combined where you, you you can feel really strongly about where you're at in a hand you know and sometimes it's almost just kind of instinctual because you're combining all these little pieces of information you're like oh i know exactly where i am just because of how exacting um before we wrap up uh before and before the interview uh you stated that you were from portland i just wanted to ask real quick have you ever been to a place called voodoo donuts god yeah (laughs) that place is awesome have you ever been to the waffle window (laughs) i have been to the waffle window. Yeah, Tom interrupted one of his own stories with a 15-minute discussion of the waffle window once. <laughs> I went out there. I went out to Portland for work for a week uh, about a year ago, I guess, and those were the two main places I, I went to. Yeah, those those are uh, the Voodoo Donuts is a is a uh, tourist destination. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah. He just goes town to town trying their baked goods. Yeah. You get the. Did you get the one shaped like a penis? Uh, I think they he didn't. knows you so well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually called just... the cock and balls. Yeah, that one. Yeah, uh, I think I got the cock and balls. <laughs> I think I might have gotten the gay bar um, and the Marshall Matters. <laughs> I, I don't think I've heard of that last one. Marshall Matters? I... Yeah, it's a plain cake donut with vanilla frosting and mini M&Ms. Smooth. Uh, I'm, smooth. I'm looking at them right now, drooling. <laughs> they also had a don't, uh, don't say that when you say cock and balls. 
unless you want to, and that's fine. He was talking about the M&M, I hope. <laughs> it gives a whole new meaning to the Boston cream. But... Oh, God. <laughs> downhill, downhill. Yeah, we should probably wrap Anyways. up real quick. We probably should wrap up about five minutes ago. <laughs> Before we go, Zach, is there anything else that you wanted to add? Um, well, I just, I like hearing from people who have uh, read the book and, uh, cause I think it's, uh, I think it's the best book on the subject and maybe I'm delusional. So I, I, I like to hear other people's opinions on it. So if you do buy the book and, uh, check it out, let me know what you think. Cause I could be completely wrong. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to burn right. bridges with Mike Caro, but I would agree. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love Caro. Tell, tell him to. Uh, we should, we should do a podcast with him sometime. <laughs> I'll let him know. That's, we'll make it's it funny happen. that you mentioned that, Mike. <laughs> Are you there? <laughs> we should do one where I. Uh, he's probably wearing his headset on his foot because he's crazy. <laughs> he's mad. We should do another podcast where I uh, make fun of Joe Navarro a little bit, though. We, we could do yeah, that. he didn't yeah, get, definitely... he didn't get much love this episode. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. People that know FBI agents are the ones I would like to make angry as well. <laughs> and, uh, he he probably burned all his bridges with the real the real guys. Yeah, uh, I know nothing about I that. Just, I just want to diss him as much as possible. Sorry, you can cut. Well, that. when know, we have, uh, no, we don't cut. <laughs> <laughs> if we cut, this would just be over like in like thirty seconds. Hey, goodbye. Yeah. So when we have uh, Mike and Joe on, we'll bring you as the surprise guest. Oh yeah, yeah, they would, yeah, they might like that. Perfect idea. If I if I go missing, uh, you should interview Joe Navarro. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> we'll have a serious interview with him. Um, anyways, uh, you guys should check out Reading Poker Tells. Uh, the book is getting really good reviews from a lot of people. Not just uh, on this podcast either. <laughs> not, not on this podcast. Uh, Zach, do you have a Twitter or a Facebook? I do have a tra- I have a Twitter. Uh, it's it's just a poker player. It's at a poker player, and you can find that on my website too, on www.readingpokertells.com. And I uh, tweet about all sorts of interesting things. Awesome. All right. All right. Thanks for being here. Thanks, guys. It was nice meeting you. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Uh, and now we're gonna throw it to Mitch's minute. Hey, this is Mitch's Minute, where I talk about things. Today, I am talking about TV shows that are apparently good or great, you could say, but I don't get them. Uh, First one up is The Wire. I didn't understand anything they were saying or doing or who they were. It was pretty much like watching a foreign film without subtitles. I attribute this to me being a huge nerd and Australian. Next up is The Sopranos. I watched the first episode, and it just seemed like a middle-aged douchebag Italian dad running people over because they owed him money. Mad Men, I liked Don Draper. The other storylines seemed like filler, just like this segment. I stopped watching and forgot where I was, and I couldn't find my place, so I just gave it up. Freaks and Geeks, I've been to high school. Enough said. Homeland, pretty good. I could tell you how to make it the greatest TV show in history, but some people would consider that a spoiler. Even though it came out five months ago, I would say if you haven't seen it yet, you don't mind too much, but apparently some people do. So that was Mitch's Minute for this week, a very worthwhile segment. Well, I'd like to thank Mitch. Uh, that was actually a really great minute. Um, not spoiler-free, 
entirely, but that's okay. And I would like to thank Zach for coming on, and his book is actually really awesome. I've read most of it, which is good enough for me to give it my ringing endorsement. It's actually really applicable to any kind of live game uh, that you guys might be playing post-Black Friday. Um, also, thank you to TJ. I didn't get to interview you with the Venetian, but that's okay. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> I like the idea to apologize to TJ. Uh, check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Stars. Twitter, Badugi All Stars, our website, badugiallstars.com. I think there's a pattern developing. Um, <laughs> if you're listening on iTunes, uh, give us a rating. If you have nice things to say, if not, silence is golden. Um, yeah. Um, also, if you think that Tecmo's hands are terrible and you would like to submit <laughs> your own hands to discuss and you don't eat cake while you're at the table, or even if you do, Submit a hand to badoogieallstars at gmail.com, and we might talk about it next episode. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Um, and speaking of the next episode, uh, we're going to have Ed Miller, author of Playing the Player, um, coming up next uh, in two more weeks. Or whenever you're listening to this. Yes. <laughs> just hit, hit next. Um, this is Tecmo Super Bowl signing off. Mixing the grouch. And this is 2-4 Offsuit. Good night, everybody!